0: Hi, everybody. It is Season 7, Episode 3, and we have Matt back with us for the first time this season. How are you doing, Matt?
1: Good morning. Yeah, not too bad at all, thank you very much. Uh, I certainly got over my uh, my Christmas bug, which laid me down for the best part of three weeks or so. Oh. Fe- feeling very grotty and missing all of Christmas and New Year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not too bad. Really, really good to see... Uh, the world becoming a lighter place, and Absolutely. the darkness disappearing slowly but surely. I must admit, I think I'm—I must be one of those, um, you know, not greatly, I would say, but uh, one of those sad people, those you know, seasonal affected. Yes, and, uh,
0: yes, I'm, I'm. I think I might be somebody who experiences that as well. Alan's always trying to sort of like suggest things to help me want to wake up in the morning because essentially once i'm asleep i don't want to be waking back up obviously i do want to wake <laughs> back up but generally i want I to stay asleep you. and um and alan's always just like well why don't we do this why don't i play some nice morning music for you and yeah, i'm sure you can imagine the glare that he gets in the thought of <laughs> <laughs> doing some music morning music to wake me up he's just like no i have a five-year-old that'll wake me up that's sufficient no absolutely not well today everybody we're gonna be talking about family medical history and how it can and cannot affect protection insurance applications this is the practical protection podcast so matt let's start off if it's okay with you with why is why, why does family medical history, before the age of 60 or 65, depending upon the insurer, why is it so important for insurers when we're looking at things like personal and business protection insurance?
1: Okay, well, I think uh, it, it will be um, a relatively, it's relatively common knowledge that um, from time immemorial, um, people used to say, uh, you know, your own mortality. Look at your own genes if you want to get an idea of um, you know how long you're going to live and so on and so forth. And that was around a few hundred years ago. Um, but obviously, science and, and particularly data collection uh, has moved on. And without any shadow of a doubt, um, genetics, your family history, um, does count a, an awful lot. Um, I, what is better understood now, of course, that it is not purely um, your genetic makeup or, or to be honest the faults that um, appear uh, while you're developing in the womb um, or you could ask you right to the very point of fertilization to be perfectly honest with you um, you know that some of them are faulty and that can can cause not always I might have can cause uh, problems later on in life but what is, what is better understood is it's it's purely not just those genetic um, um, I don't know what you call them in mistakes, I suppose. Um, but environmental factors as well, uh, and also lifestyle factors do come into it. Um, you can go through with a faulty um diabetes gene, for instance, a type one diabetes gene for for all your life and, and never develop diabetes, type one diabetes. Um, but uh, it, it's now known that uh, those who do develop, um, it's triggered by, uh, it can be triggered by environmental factors such as such as a virus, a simple virus. So I'm afraid to say, not particularly technical comment, but it's a bit of a look of the draw on, on some occasions. The what I just wanted to specifically talk about, given you know, that we have a limited amount of time, and then was 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 in fact diabetes. That's uh, one of the very common ones. Family histories that is that that, that crops up um, when uh, underwriters look at protection, both uh, both life, critical illness, and income protection, for that matter. Um, and it's interesting, really, when I was uh, reminding myself of these from the old days. That's really uh, type one diabetes. So that's really the. Well, people will understand is the severe type of diabetes that does need in, in, um, injections of insulin uh, to help with the disease, the control of the disease. Um, but it's very much a combination of, of, of genetics and uh, environmental, as I've just, uh, just mentioned. And really, if you do have the um, genetic uh mistake can i call it that Um, you're only at slightly higher risk of actually developing diabetes itself so that's type one that's the severe one now if you're looking at type two then the uh, predisposition um the genetic condition um certainly impacted by lifestyle and environmental factors as well is much higher Um, For instance, if an individual has one parent that suffers from diabetes, then there's a 40% chance of them developing the disorder. If both parents have type 2 diabetes, then there's a 70%. So to use that example, I thought that might be a good example of of, um, where family history is important to underwriters and, and why it is as well.
0: I think that's a really good example. Because as you say, I mean, there's there's so much to sort of like bundle in there. So as you say, there is the genetics that could potentially do it, but there is obviously as well those those lifestyle factors as well. And, you know, I think that when we probably – I think probably when we're looking at it from an advice point of view, I think probably initially we're thinking of it as more of like a genetic rather than lifestyle factor. Right. And and I don't think that we don't see that and we ignore it or anything. But when, we, when we're when generally looking at it and you see sort of the list of conditions, because diabetes doesn't always come up in the question set, does it for family medical history? It, it can do, but it doesn't always. Yeah. Um, you know, and we'll see things like heart attack, cancer. And I think you automatically... I don't know I, th- I think you automatically think oh that's probably more of like a genetic link but you are right though there is there's is a huge influence in terms of of lifestyle and especially I mean even if we think it's like a probably quite a, a broad um, sideways jump in a sense is if you were looking at somewhere like Australia obviously the the likelihood of skin cancer I imagine is far higher than say somewhere in the UK so that you could quite well have parents and children and siblings and everybody experiencing that, but that comes from an environmental factor rather than necessarily genetics. So it's um, there's definitely uh, lots of things to be thinking about about it.
1: No, absolutely, and I think it's, it's it's one of those. If if we take it back to the actuarial underwriting science behind all this, it's it, it's I think it's fair to say. That really the the data that is used to come up with ratings generally will include all of that. Um, now that if if, some, if somebody thinks about that or if I think about it, I'm thinking well, hold on, lifestyle factors that's a variable. Environmental factors could be a variable. Um, is that really fair to 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 um, uh, rate people with those two big variables there? But the, the reality is, and it's it's something that, that we continue, we as underwriters and actuaries continue to work on, whereby breaking down that data to try and be more specific and to be more in, um, to to try and better understand what a family history and all other types of conditions that matter, positive family history, um, how we can break that down for the individual and try and move away from categorizing people in great big groups. It's a very difficult thing to do because the data, the, the, the very detailed data isn't there. And um, but nevertheless, you know, the, the, the world of underwriting continues to work with the uh, the great and the good in the medical world, with our actuarial colleagues, to try and do that and provide much more tailored ratings for um. For our clients for your clients so i always think family history ratings are um, a, a, an interesting one and i've spoken about it before catherine you and i have spoken about it but um i'm not sure if i've ever said to you personally but because i had um colon cancer stage three actually doesn't matter i don't think from memory but uh, colon cancer at the age of 48 below 50. yeah then both of my children are, how do I say it, lumbered with a plus fifty loading for critical illness for the rest of their lives. Right. Um, and I, I know for a fact that other um, you know, IFAs often or distributors full stop will, will get a comment, oh, this is so unfair that my sister had X and Y, and why am I being loaded? You know, it's nothing to do with me. She she did this or did that. So you then get into the lifestyle environmental stuff. Um, but reality is where we are with the interpretation of the data at the moment. Then um, you know that that is the additional risk that my kids will bring to the to, to the critical illness fund. Uh, it's okay for life insurance, purely death only cover, by the way. But um, yeah. now I've gotten those. There is absolutely, and because I'm a, a great family history buff, um, I can absolutely say to you that um, there is. And to everybody, that there is absolutely no history of colon cancer far beyond my my mum, dad, brother, sister, which of course are the people we generally uh, we we are applicants yeah. for, uh, that has had colon cancer.
0: Right.
1: So you do ask yourself quite. <laughs> Well, it's interesting.
0: No, it it's, it's really interesting that and it kind of takes us a little bit on to the next question I was going to chat to you about, which is all Very about right. genetic testing. Yeah. So I was going to talk and I think we'll again have a little bit of a, a sideway thing here on this. But so I was going to talk and I think we should talk about like the genetic testing for say, Huntington's disease and the BRCA gene, which do quite significant. You know, significantly at times because the Brachner gene is something that a lot of women um, are tested for, and Huntington's is a specific question on a lot of the insurance question sets. But in terms of the colon cancer, I can't remember the name of it, but yeah. there is a genetic test, isn't there? There's a certain test okay. that you can potentially do.
1: Yeah, familial polyposis, I think, is probably what you're what you're particularly thinking about, where where thousands of polyps. Uh, form in the colon, and they, they and they tend to be. I can't say every single one of those thousands, but they, a lot of them tend to be precancerous. So
0: right. If this,
1: if the condition is untreated, then then uh, you will get uh, cancer um, appearing um, th- throughout various parts of the colon. Um, right. And, uh, so so that's the particular one you're thinking about absolutely. Now I could it would be. Unf- Uh, I'm just trying to think here about confidentiality but certainly members of my family have had uh, genetic testing because of me and they're all clear. Well
0: that's good because I I think sometimes this is one of the things I was going to talk about in the BRCA gene when we we do talk about that is um, is Disclosure of
1: negative tests maybe? Yeah,
0: disclosure of negative tests basically you know you don't have to volunteer you you know nobody has to volunteer things but if you can disclose negative tests then that can sometimes not always but it can sometimes make the outcomes more favourable, insurance-wise?
1: Yeah. No, no, a- absolutely. Can I just nick back just for a second? Yeah, of I mean, course. We do like to do sideways, don't we? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, was just, I was just going to go to, and highlight something else, really, just in terms of family history. Again, I seem to be like a living wreck, I have to say. But my brother um, developed skin cancer, mm. uh, and melanoma. I always have to clarify that was skin cancer. When he was 32, he died at 38. Yes, and again, absolutely no family history at all. Now, you might some of the some oncologists out there or or whizzes on cancer might say, "Well, hold on, you've had colon cancer; he's had skin cancer. Do, how, how does that work out?" But either which way, no, no family history of skin cancer then or now. Historically, he died a while ago. Now, yeah, but the one thing that we thought about was that he spent three or four years in Singapore. When he was a, a a young child. Yes. And would have well whatever my mum and dad tried to do, he would have got burnt with mm. the sun. And the the the, the, the tumor actually formed on his side side of his back, well a side of the back area. And uh, you know we wonder whether at the end of the day it was probably sun damage that then manifested itself some 25 30 years later so i mentioned yeah. that purely not to not to get any sympathy obviously but just to say environmental factors you pointed out australia yeah. yes um which is a good one, although I must admit I always tend to think Australians these days they look after themselves so much on those beaches. Yes, um, they're probably, they're probably I think too, more
0: historically, kind of. Yes. Oh, situation. Indeed, yeah,
1: yeah. The, the, the fair skins uh, people from uh, from Western Europe, Ireland, Scotland that went over to over to Australia and emigrated, then yeah, a lot of um, problems there historically but either which way i'm sorry i was just trying to bring out the environment no
0: of course well i was going to say you know in terms of the it's so important because i mean i think i've said it before on the podcast i did with my dad who has parkinson's you know we we think his is possibly environmental because you know he he works on the farm and um you know there was a thing where he looks after the turkeys and the farmer would say pour those chemicals together shut the cupboard and run out of there as fast as you can and, you know, there's now obviously quite a few studies that have linked, you know, potentially some chemicals to to potential diagnosis of Parkinson's. I can't say for definite, you know, my granddad, so my dad's dad, he was, he, I mean, he never had a tremor, but he sort of seemed to, as he got older, he seemed to have similar traits to my dad. But then I'm just thinking, is that just that my dad's now becoming my granddad kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you just, you never know with these things. But again, with the Parkinson's, there's been nothing in the family in terms of Parkinson's. so. You know, but it's a bit of a you know. Every now and then, I get a little bit worried because I think, is this something that's you know going to happen to me? And obviously, it's it's not a pleasant condition, and um, no. and no, it is no, something no. to obviously you know think about every now and then. But but yeah. So if we if we go as you said, the environmental aspect is, is so so important. But if we look at the genetic testing side of things, so gotcha. in terms of the Huntington's and the BRCA gene, can you take us through? why these are so important to insurers. And then I'll probably sort of give a little bit of a, uh, a summary in terms of advisors as to what to, to look out for and what they need to know.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I don't know if it's worth going back just for a couple of minutes just to um, remind everybody that, of, of the insurance code.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's um, There's insured a, a code of practice, and this is an agreement between the, the, the government um, and the ABI and its members, Now, the ABI doesn't cover all of the major protection insurers in the UK, um, but certainly the ones that I'm aware of who are not members, you can count them on one hand, still very much um, uh, follow this this code of practice. And uh, having been involved, I think, in the first ever code of practice myself with the ABI, um, it was was quite... um, Quite hard to believe that that as far back as 2018, then there was the sixth agreement. It's quite in, quite incredible. Mm. Um, with, a, with a review, in fact, last year, um, looking at the the kind of the, the, the genetic landscape, if you like, and importantly, and this is really why I wanted to just cover this, it's, it it outlined the action around the industry getting expert opinion. To yeah. show that the code remained relevant to consumer and industry, so it goes back to the point I made very early in the podcast about the insurance industry always looking to move forward with genetics, family history, the huge, the, the huge variable. I hope I can use the term "huge" is yeah. around that environmental, in particular, lifestyle to an extent. But anyway, there, there is, as I say. Um, just to remind everybody, there is this code of practice and I believe it's worked pretty well, Catherine. I don't know if you've had any. I know, know you historically you've, you've kind of questioned the Huntington's disease limit of 500,000. But generally, do you think it's going well for advisors I and, and for all clients?
0: Yeah, I think it does generally work quite well. I mean, I think a key thing for me in terms of the Huntington's um, disease and the disclosure of genetic testing is that in terms of. When Huntington's disease is disclo- is diagnosed, even if someone doesn't need to say that they've had uh, like um, a Huntington's um, genetic test,
1: Correct, it's yeah.
0: very very likely that in the family medical history that there will be the disclosure of Huntington's um, disease by an immediate family member. Which yeah. then does mean that the underwriters, that it, in a sense, it doesn't matter if we're disclosing the genetic test or, or not. In some in some ways, it doesn't matter because the underwriters there know that there's that family medical history. So then the underwriting is going to go down that route of there's a potential, maybe a 50-50 chance of Huntington's disease here. So they're going to rate it on that basis. But what we were saying before about the volunteering of um negative um genetic tests, that's quite important for somebody um with the Huntington's. Um, disease if what I would say though from an advisor point of view is don't just jump on this thing of saying to someone get the genetic test done you know because then if it's negative we can get you the insurance without this rating it's an incredibly emotional decision and psychological decision to decide if you want to have that test or not it's Huntington's disease if people aren't familiar with it it is something that will lead to somebody dying um relatively I'd say relatively quickly from probably diagnosis. I think it's probably between five and ten years usually, um, oh, from cool. diagnosis. Cool
1: diagnosis,
0: yeah. Yeah, um, so you know it is something that people will face. It's not a pleasant, obviously. Dying is never pleasant, but it's it's not a pleasant um, condition to have, and the what will happen over time. So you know it's certainly not something you know when we're speaking to someone if they say that there's family medical history, we can ask as an advisor. We can say, "Have you had a genetic test?" Or the insurer is not going to ask, but if you happen to have had a negative test, that can sometimes change the options. Um, but we wouldn't ever encourage somebody, or, or I certainly wouldn't advocate someone to encourage someone to get the test done purely for the purpose of the insurance. It could save money. It could potentially open up some options, but the the other side of that is is that someone has the test. They've they've already gone through all of this advice in terms of counselling of Do you want the test? All this kind of stuff. They've made a decision not to have it done, and then if you then encourage them to have it done and it is positive, that is a huge huge thing, emotional thing for that person, and and ultimately you're not going to be in any better position in terms of what insurances are and aren't available so you know th- there's a lot to consider about that from an advisor point of view but yeah so so my my query about it my it's, you know obviously i think you know and shows asking about it and saying oh we don't need to ask up to a certain level brilliant i just think it kind of i kind of feel like it cancels itself out when we get to the family medical uh, medical history question. so that's that's just my take on it in some ways but but it might not always be the case
1: no i don't think it is, it is always the case but you know you you, you you're right um, I think the way that our understanding is under ISIS and actuaries, uh, let's be honest with you, the, the medical whizzies out there as well on this type of thing in terms of data, we're still, yeah. you know, uh, we still haven't, we're not in a position yet to be able to kind of really delve down into the, to the, the whys and wherefores. Um, Huntington's as you quite rightly said is an, is an awful disease. Um, and, and you know, it, I hope you don't mind. Bear in mind, mm. this podcast goes, goes under cure. Then, but I would say, absolute red flag. Do not advise somebody to get yeah. a genetic test. Yes. You know, that would be my absolute statement. There, um, you know, your 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 website covers this. I think very yes. well. And, yes, it does. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's 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 ten pounds by the way for that plug. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're absolutely right it covers it and uh, particularly Huntington's but I would say every single genetic test they're yes. just, they just don't say well aware just to reiterate under uh, uh insurers cannot ask or insist on you going for a genetic test Yeah. they can't insist for a test result so two different things there one is actually going attending for a genetic test insurers mm-hmm. simply won't do it in terms of asking for the results, that is, that is, as Catherine's highlighted, only for Huntington's over really large sums assured, yeah. which really well, well above what the average sum assured of uh, is is, is, in, is in the marketplace. Absolutely. Um, And that's
0: across insurers as well. So people do need to be, you know, make sure you're watching out for advisors, you know, watch out for any questions. Because if you suddenly think, oh, well, they ask if it's over £500,000 for life insurance, well, I'll place 500000 here and I'll do 500000 over there. Just be very, very careful because, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of things is the questions, make sure the questions in a sense don't stop you from doing that. But also as well, bear in mind that, you know, each insurer has reinsurers, the reinsurers fulfil different policies with different people different insurers everywhere and you don't want to get in a situation where you've done something trying to be smart and trying to try and get the person more cover when actually it's going to end up that potentially one of the policies will be voided
1: um yeah. totally agree with you, Catherine. Um, it, that happens more often than I'd like to say. To be
0: perfectly honest with you, yeah, there are reasons to split cover across insurers at times. You know, there are certainly you know times that advisors will do very that. Valid reasons. Yeah. The very, very valid reasons. But again, it's that all, whole thing of you know, especially if protection isn't your go-to thing all the time. Just be incredibly careful. You know, seek advice from somebody as well if need be. You know, as always, I know people don't always want to speak to them, but you know, speak to a compliance person, double check what they say. Um, um, because, you know, they are putting not only the client's best interest at heart, but you, the advisor, the firm as well, at the heart of what's being done. And then oh. we've got we've got the Huntington's I know we've just spoken about there, um, but then the Brackner gene. That obviously, so this is a really interesting one. And I know we've spoken about this previously in another podcast, but maybe just a really quick recap, Matt, on the difference. And it applies for Huntington's, it applies for any genetic condition as well, but the difference between diagnostic and predictive testing
1: well p- predictive is 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 literally what it says on the packet is the chance of something happening in the future diagnostic is what is, what is the position now um you know a classic example of a, of, of um, another diagnostic test is a blood test it is, it is saying what the position is now predictive literally predicting what is likely to happen given current um uh statistics um will happen in the future so that's really the classic between the difference and we're, we're primarily talking about um in terms of this podcast predictive chest yes. testing in the future um absolutely can I, I would just like to add just one other thing on before we disappear on um on genetic testing so i think it's quite important um occasionally um Now, GPs are specifically asked not to give the results of genetic tests um, uh, unless they are negative from memory. Uh, If we do get one, if we as insurers, sorry, do get one as underwriters, we have to ignore it. Yes. So if something happens by a mistake, we must actually ignore it. And of course, do remember that a negative test could help you out. So if you have yeah. a negative genetic test, as Catherine's already said a couple of times, then please do let the insurer know because that can help enormously in in um, w- when looking at family history, amongst other things. So sorry, Catherine. Absolutely. No,
0: absolutely I know, I
1: back in as well, particularly because I think sometimes the you know you get it by mistake um well yeah. you should use it use it um on, rather sneakily if i can use that then the answer is absolutely no hold, hold all yeah. the calls if they try to do that
0: absolutely and in terms of um just for the advisors as well that are listening in terms of the predictive and the diagnostic test we can sometimes be asked as advisors by people you might say if you ever been you know have you ever had cancer or anything like that and people start going oh well i had some tests done and then People can get really confused as to what it yeah. is. So one of the things that we tend to say to people is, you know, along the lines of, right, did, you know, in terms of what you've had done testing wise, is it that you've had a family member with, if we talk the BRCA gene, because that is one that does come up quite a bit. Have you had a family member with breast cancer? Okay. Did they say to you, have this test to just see whether or not you might have this cancer, you've got a higher chance of having this cancer in the future, or was it that you were having some symptoms and you maybe found a lump or you had some other symptoms of the breast and the GP or the specialist had said, look, we should do some tests just to double check if anything is is happening cancer-wise. That will then help you to determine whether or not it was a predictive test or the diagnostic test. And that can sometimes just really help people, sorry, to twig in their mind as to which one it is. And, and we can only ever do as an advisor, we can only ever do based upon what we've been told and the information we've been, forgi- been given by people. Um so to go to some broader things now, Matt, because we've done sorry of like this bit about genetic testing and family history, and we are going to go into this now. So I, I have posed this question a few times and I have had some answers and um and I'd really like to obviously hear your thoughts on it and everything. Because you know, we've had quite a lot in terms of you know there's quite a bit at the moment in terms of our women maybe not getting as fairer terms as men um and could that be because there's just been a lack of um like you say, data it's always down to data you know and, and typically with data it's possibly been more it's hard isn't it because you kind of think is data more male-led because we've <laughs> it's,
1: you know it's, it's, not being it's been, you, i know i
0: know i'm truly, i'm truly <laughs> know not to be but you know in in terms of like things you know there's been so sort of said that in times that in in times gone past let's say that way that maybe it was more focused in terms of male health conditions there has been given more information there's been more studies done there's been more um medications more treatments focused upon it, possibly upon the the male generation male aspects of society than women but then at the same point i'm thinking but women talk up more than men in general if there's something going on so there's probably more data that way so I I really don't know each, which way but this question that has sort of like popped up in my mind you know because there are different things and I know I've spoken before about how we say like menopause you know that's something obviously it's a women's condition we can sometimes get some not negative terms but in the sense of you know we can sometimes get some of the treatments can lead to some exclusions which you can kind of understand but also kind of seem unfair because it's just a natural progress that women have to go through but anyway i'm going off in lots of tangents here but (laughs) so my my question to you matt is just so we can sort of have this out and sort of like you know have a really good open discussion about is it say like if we have um a woman she might get a breast cancer exclusion on critical illness cover due to family history of um of breast cancer but we don't get testicular or prostate cancer exclusions for men and i imagine there's a genetic aspect to that i imagine there's a data aspect to it but it is just a question that it really fascinates me so i'd be really um i'd really like to see your hear your thoughts on that
1: right could you just repeat the um did you say testicular and prostate yes those two conditions okay um for a start, in in terms of, I'm just trying to think this through really. In terms of those particular two, I'll go. I'll go prostate first. I think um, with prostate cancer, there is actually no reason why, if a family member has been diagnosed with prostate cancer at a relatively young age, particularly for critical illness here, mm. um, they why they should not. Have a, uh, a a cancer exclusion if they if their family member been uh, diagnosed at a young age. Um, we were talking about BRCA um, a minute yes. ago, and BRCA is certain, the mutations of BRCA uh, one and two, that matter are linked to increase uh, levels of prostate cancer. Oh right. So I think a lot of people think maybe when we talk BRCA, bear in mind that BRCA is BRCA. B R breast C A cancer, you think you immediately think, well, we're, we're just talking about the um uh breast cancer here. You, yeah. you think
0: it's be cool. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: What it's called. But but you've got you know, as you, as uh, many people know, especially in your custody, there's there's BRCA ones and BRCA twos and um different types of mutation. And you know, again, the uh our listeners will, will put to breast, but you've also got ovarian as well, which I think a lot of people yeah. will know about um, ovarian. But pancreatic cancer and prostate cancer, for both BRCA1 and BRCA2, if you carry that gene, there is a higher likelihood of um, of prostate cancer itself.
0: OK, so that's breast, prostate, pancreatic and ovarian cancer, all potentially linked to the BRCA gene. Yeah. Right. And I didn't all know evidence. all that. That's really to fascinating. Be, to be
1: perfectly honest with you, um there are a lot more as well. cancers. yeah um but I mean effectively, what what we're talking about with with braca is 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 that the the gene is actually a tumor suppressor, so it it suppresses the genes and it stops tumors forming. okay. So that's what it is. Um, the name for it okay and you can and if you just take the very high generalization that stop tumors forming you can see that it the logical question is well why would that just be breast
0: yes absolutely because
1: it's not now the 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 and I have to say interesting you know, excuse me for what I do for a living but the um the 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 one gene is very much linked to the triple leg breast cancer triple leg okay cancer. Yeah, and that's a, that's quite
0: an intense one, isn't it? The triple negative, isn't that more younger women, and it's quite it's it's quite aggressive.
1: Um, not always younger women, oh, is but, it not? No, no, more common, more common in younger women. Right. Uh, um, but uh, it, it, absolutely, it is aggressive, and um, although great strides have been made in the last few years in terms of the treatments of it, then um, it is it is still the uh, most frightening of all the breast cancers um that the, there is at the moment making great strides but um what I was saying there is that's very specific BRCA1 yeah okay so as I say I've kind of again I've deviated off the question that you were asking and that's around exclusions for prostate and uh I, I, will, I will plant my opinion out there Okay. If somebody who's had prostate cancer, uh, a family member has had it under uh, under the age of 50, then we should look at rating if that person is taking out the insurance, is obviously the, below the age of 50, stroke maybe even 60. Yeah. Okay.
0: So treat them um, in a similar way to, in a sense, what happens when breast cancer is um, thingied as well. I, I, uh, disclosed. I, 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 <laughs> I was trying to think of the word disclosed then. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I don't have I don't have the data sets in front of me, unfortunately, to have a look at the prevalence. Yeah, I think um, we're now
0: one in eight people with prostate cancer.
1: Right. Well, of course, my, it's not necessarily going down to the BRCA gene. Yes. No, of course. No, of course. Yeah. It's got the same environmental and lifestyle and goodness knows what else this, Oh, uh, it's going but... far
0: too complicated. I'm just looking at the top levels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, well, 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 I suppose the point of my what I was trying to say there was really, um, you know, people will uh, advisors, clients will get mystified about yeah. family history and what insurers do, but it's not a simple, not it simple. It certainly isn't. It's so- um, genetics is not simple um, without any shadow of a doubt. So, so all I can really say is it's no great help. Just leave it with us, and we will get there. There's no two ways about it. And we are, under, we are, um, you know, obliged to the government and the agreements that we've made. To look at genetics and get the world's experts on this, so, so just bear with us. In terms of testicular cancer, I am sure there is a very good answer to that. Um, but I, I haven't seen one, uh, testicular cancers, which is really where you're coming from. And again, I, I would just fall back on I can only assume that the numbers don't, don't stack up. Um, I've not. Yeah. Heard of test- I'm, there Are there going to be some form, that, I, you know, I always think, it, 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 I go back to that comment I made right at the very beginning, two or three hundred years ago, you know, just look at your parents to see on average, see how long you're going to live. Mm. Um, there must be some genetic component, component in, in testicular cancer. Um, I can only assume that the numbers don't um, add up to a, 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 an increased risk, which would worry an underwriter. Yeah. Um, in terms of the uh, in terms of the male female thing, then then that's a, a, a different debate altogether.
0: Yeah, I'm i, was, I was certainly not bringing it up as a um, obviously <laughs> I am quite feminist, you know. Obviously, um, sure. but, yeah. absolute girl power. But you know, it's really? just that kind of thing. Of because obviously, I understand. And, you know, as, as you said, you know, it's so complicated. We've got all the underwriters, the actuaries, you know, from reinsurers and insurers doing all this incredible. Number work, which I can't even begin to fathom how it's all calculated. I'd love to sit down with somebody at some point and just like shadow them for like a week and sort of like figure me. out how they do it all. um yeah, it's, It would be it would be lovely, but um you know, I, I think it's just that thing of you know because it's the the data. It's usually the, I mean we're using decades worth of data. Aren't we? I mean we have the recent data which shows the changes in, in modern population, modern society, but it is based upon especially the genetic side. It's decades worth absolutely decades worth of data and and I think probably what's you know I, th- I think some of the questions that have come out is sort of like well is the is the data you know in a sense is it just more male dominating you know, it has there been as many records in terms of women and stuff like that is it being as easy you know and, and things like that and, and you know it, I, I am clearly sounding like i want a feminist thing, here. <laughs> but um, it'd be interesting to know I mean I, it could be completely wrong you know it's just it's just the questions that. So, like, come up every now and then, I start going. Well, how come women are just getting slightly different on this bit compared to this and that? And uh... I think
1: population population data will be um, should be split between male and female um, in in the same proportion as the population. Okay, so that's population yeah. data. Insurance data is going to be different because it'll be skewed by the difference between how many um... men take out insurance and women take out insurance.
0: And it would have been very male. Dominated versus I would, women.
1: I, I would think so. When women. Yeah. 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 I and mean, we know the, the historical.
0: Yes. Uh, when we were not seen as as important, history. Matt, let's just be honest. We weren't I can, as important. I'm telling
1: you that, bear yeah. in mind that most women have at least six jobs. That's yeah. <laughs> why I'm old, then um, I, I, I'm afraid I can't I can't go along with that one <laughs> exactly I know I
0: know I, I come I completely agree I completely agree but and I,
1: uh, think, I think that's when we when you talk statistics I think we have to be a bit careful between population statistics and insurance statistics yes actors and underwriters will in fact look at both yes okay um and, and but I think that's probably why you're going to get more male than female on the insurance side of it
0: yeah, which you know, in, in terms of society, it's, it's not a criticism at all to no, to no, insurers man. or anybody that actually. Is under, it's not no, an insur- it's no. it's just circumstances, isn't it we're still, yeah. you know, we are at a point now where we're getting more and more women insured. You know, I'm really happy actually at Cura that you know I've been going through our recent statistics and stuff for like our um, consumer duty report and things, and actually we in the last year we've insured more women than men. You know, yeah, and good. it's 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 very very close, but you know it, it's it's lovely to see that that we've got that really good balance of, of, you know, making sure that we're ensuring everybody. Um, Okay next question then we've got the last two things well it's the last question for you and then I have a comment probably which I'm, I'm not going to expect you to to um to talk about that but it is something that I've, I've mentioned before I don't think I have mentioned it before on the episodes and the episodes I might have done um but it is something I'm just saying every now and then because I think it's important to talk about um the, you know this community within society and and how genetics and different things work but um okay our next question is um on the very first episode of season seven, we had our guest host, uh, which was Settle Meta, and he asked us to chat about what are the most common family medical history disclosures that we would think, that we will not think, but that we, we know will lead probably to a premium rating or exclusion.
1: Okay. Um, so by definition, the question really is going to have, I'm going to take my answer from what I... Probably used to see rather than today um, on insurance forms, whereby it's, it's a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. In other words, what, what better have a look at that. Quite. What does uh, what, what does that mean? Yeah. And um, don't, I don't think it'll be any surprise really that it diff, the well the industry differs hugely between life insurance and critical illness. Uh, and Absolutely. I think, um, exclusions are really damn rare on life to say the least in terms of critical illness um we only have to look at the product and the nature of the product and what are the main causes of uh, claims on the product mm. and so therefore you're going to be looking at um, cardiovascular disease cerebrovascular disease in other words strokes just and ischemic um, episodes attacks um you're going to look at uh, cancer, um, now, yeah, look at cancer. You would also look at multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And would that uh, be
0: more towards the female side of things, or you, would that you be? Tend
1: to, you tend to see more in female. Uh, well, remember that if you, you these are I'm just talking about here disclosures.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so, you know, blokes have mums and sisters and things like that. So yeah. you'll, you'll get that coming out from, the, from that side. Um, yeah, it's <clears throat> you certainly, if, if I took all the disclosures from family members, then yes, you yeah. would see it more in the ladies, uh, <clears throat> without any shadow of a doubt. Um, and again, it, you know, when underwriters will look, they'll certainly take the age of the applicant at the time. Of the diagnosis, which is yeah. I always think, well, an interesting one, um but usually under fifty is when people will start, to, underwriters will start to think. Now, I always think it's one of those questions where you think, well, do people re- can people really remember the age of when the parent, if they're still alive, remember can still remember who has ever had, if, when they have ever had a heart attack or a cancer. It's quite else.
0: hard for people to remember I have to say that. It's. It, they I don't always totally, find it easy.
1: I would. I would totally say that, and it's a. It's. It's a difficult one. Um, I, I was reading, um, as you do, Brack's, the great, the great Dr. Brackenridge's book. Oh um, I... you know, Several years ago, and uh, it, it, some interesting points on family history there. And all those years ago, they were actually saying the medical examiner. Should question the uh, an applicant if he says that a family member died in an accident. Right. What, what is the accident? Is it suicide? Is it uh, showing up a, an alcohol problem? Is it showing? You know. So we've moved on. That's yeah. what I'm really trying to say. There absolutely. Um, and I, and I think partly that is that because we have to remember that that people aren't automatically geared up to remember the exact age. Of some of a, of a of a sibling, I just have to know because I'm an underwriter and I'm the yeah. family history. Um... My mum has a spreadsheet. I have to say, oh, well, there you go. Spreadsheet, <laughs> <There>, <laughs> <you go. laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's quite it is quite difficult. And you know, let's let's be completely throw it out there now. What what happens when somebody says, "Oh, they were f- my my father or whatever family member was 48"? Sorry, no, 52, mm. and in fact, they were 48. When yeah. So sort of differentiates the age, breaches the age 50, um, and so on and so forth. And that's a very difficult one for, yes. for a, a claims person to deal with. I
0: was going to say, because then you're going to have to go into innocent disclosure, innocent non disclosures, deliberate non disclosure, all absolutely. this kind of stuff, I'm aren't quite, you?
1: It won't, won't be fraud, I can absolutely guarantee you that. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's an interesting one, and it just shows you the practical problems of asking the question, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure whether I've um, I've I've answered Suttle's uh, question really, um, but if we if we are looking at critical illness primarily and income protection, critical illness, look at the way the the, the, the um, question the, what the what the product pays out on, therefore yeah. what are the risks that the underwriter is covering, and therefore signs of heart disease, sounds, of uh, sounds even even signs of yeah. heart disease um uh, cerebrovascular disease um uh, multiple sclerosis um hypertension you know things things like this will be of interest yeah um and you know I, I won't bore everybody with it because people can really generally look at the question but remember uh, on on everybody's proposal form um what i would say is if you're doing a kind of a fact find and you're not necessarily that used to asking about family history, remember that a lot of insurers will ask if, if your um, family member is still alive these days. Yes. And that's irrespective of age. Now, it could be 86, 88 and so on and so forth. And again, this is really all around data gathering. Mm. Trying to trying to build a picture around how important family history is. As I say, for years and years and years, family history is important. We all know that, but we need to break it down a little bit more. Hopefully, as we will on many many and um, writing issues into into a more precise tailored solution. So, does uh, uh, Catherine? I do like to waffle as you well uh, <laughs> know. Think... and, and Sethel, if you're out there, please please <laughs> please um come. In contact with Catherine or me, and um, you know I can answer any any other questions that you've got, or indeed if I've not answered that one very well.
0: Absolutely, I think that's I think you've answered it well. I mean, I, I think for me, I probably would imagine that the it's exactly what you've said. So, you know, if, if we look at the the top claim areas for critical illness is cancer, heart attack, stroke, and multiple sclerosis. Um, so that's got to be if, you know, if there's any, like you say, if there's any potential genetic link, you know, obviously we've got environmental facts, but if there's a genetic link there potentially, then the insurers are going to, to want to know about it. Um, th- I mean, there's obviously a lot of questions that um, the insurers will ask in terms of family medical history. And we do often get a list of things. And, and yeah. so they're obviously the ones that the insurers do want to know about and are concerning. But I would say quite a lot of them aren't necessarily particularly um common i mean obviously parkinson's no. it is a love of mine that is becoming more and more common yeah. um it's, it's actually being it's the f- fastest growing neurological condition to be diagnosed um in the world at the moment it's being diagnosed an incredible amount um and uh it's it's certainly a variant of interest but um i think another one to just bear in mind is to try and get it out the first time saying it rightly is familial hypercholesterolemia there yeah. we go got it that's I'll a big one. <laughs> That's um, a really big one, advisors, to just be aware of. So generally, I mean, when I speak to people, and this, you know, obviously, different advisors work in different ways, but I'll generally, when I'm speaking to someone about their fam- their own history, or medical history, I'll just say to them, right, do you have or have you ha- ever had any medical conditions? Tell me anything and everything, because then I know what the insurer does and doesn't need to know in terms of things. And then in terms of the family medical history, I'll just say, before the age of 65, age of 60, or I usually say before the age of 65, yeah. family yeah. members, have they had any serious health conditions? And I just kind of leave it open. And if someone says, no, no, nothing, I'll maybe go, all oh, right, you know, that's that's really positive. It's obviously no cancers, heart attack, stroke, nothing of that. So just to try and help people trigger what they might have forgotten potentially. And you might get told some I get told things where I'm just like, okay, you know, thank you very much. Um, you know, obviously the good news is is that actually that won't typically come up in the question set. So it's really, really helpful that you've said it to me, but we don't need to to necessarily put that in the application. And then it just means that we're really covering our bases as to what we um what we need to do in terms of the the research. So hopefully that helps people in that. Now, there is a final thing for me to just mention, and this is probably just a comment to the industry, Matt. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and expect you to to say anything. And I'm sure that there's, um, I can imagine some people that we know will possibly have a, a comment or a query or two on the way that I'm, what I'm saying. Um, So gender identity. now this is really important. We do have a transgender episode that is out. So please do go and listen to that as well. But this is more of a, an observation that I've made and I I, I don't think there is a right answer and I imagine that some people are probably thinking not now Catherine, not not something else, please <laughs> just no, stop, you kind of thing and the thing is I, and I do get and I'm not saying that we need to necessarily make you know significant calls to action right at this moment but I think it's something that needs to be out there in the open for thought and that needs to be addressed at some stage. So. So in terms of gender identity, we're all doing as best as we can to try and support people. We're now at a stage where insurers don't ask for specific gender reassignment certificates. Um, We don't need to go into a lot of the information that we used to do. They will ask about things like any recent surgeries, which is um, just they ask that of anybody it's not specifically to do with any kind of gender reassignment at all it is just have you had a surgery in this amount of time yes no and that kind of a thing and sometimes medications can potentially come up in the question set but that does come down to each insurer but in terms of hormone replacement therapy that should have absolutely no influence in the um, exclusions or premiums for a policy so something that stands out for me then is when we are talking about gender reassignment so let's just assume that we're in a situation where somebody has um they are now their actual gender they were born a different physical gender but they are now their actual gender they have had the surgery but it falls outside of insurers time frames and it's you know it's there's nothing in the insurance set that is going to bring up that this person has transitioned it's we're outside of those time frames of talking about those surgery times so let's say that we have a woman that was born physically a man, but she is a woman and she has, her mother had breast cancer at age 37 and there could be a breast cancer exclusion on the critical illness policy. But the woman was physically born a man. Now, the reason I say this, I know we've spoken about the Brachner gene and different things and, you know, potentially how they are. Some of those genes are more likely if you are a female, they should potentially develop breast cancer or, or different ones or ovarian cancer. Um, but my point is with that is that if this person had applied for the insurance when they were still physically a male, they wouldn't have the breast cancer exclusion. The breast cancer exclusion is only going to apply to women. It's not going to apply to men. Um, so that's another thing in terms of when I was saying about the difference between men and female and what we have. It would be a woman that would have a breast cancer exclusion. We wouldn't typically see a man have a breast cancer exclusion, even with a, um, a a parent who's had a mother who's had breast cancer. And then we've got the other way around as well, is that you could have somebody who was born physically a woman, but is a man. They are a man. They apply. They don't see the breast cancer exclusion. But they were originally and they were physically born a woman. So if they were still physically a woman, there would be a breast cancer exclusion. And I don't know the answer for any of this. And I think it is an incredibly complex set of circumstances that I, I can't imagine a computer system and an underwriting engine could necessarily compute. Um there is also, as well, the the thing that we are obviously trying to be in society much um, much more open to to modern um, communities, modern societies. To say, like for ourselves at Kiowa, you know, we we have specific things in there where we don't necessarily need to put in male or female in our systems, so that we can make sure that we're using the correct pronouns when we're speaking to people. But we always have to have that conversation as well, which is is really awkward. Um, but I'll be honest, you know, in terms of saying that we all turn around and say, look, in our systems and everything, we're not putting down male, female. It's all that. But unfortunately, the insurer's system still require us to put male or female. And and obviously that can pause, uh, cause a lot of um It's Some people are absolutely fine. I'd say a lot of people are absolutely fine. So please don't make it anybody listening don't think that I'm saying that we've had lots of people come to us like this and they're really angry and upset at insurers. There are some people who aren't particularly pleased that they can't put down that they don't have a gender or their specific gender that isn't male or female. But it is just something that we need to, it's that next step of trying to make sure that we embrace everybody in society as much as possible, make sure that people feel that the insurance world is designed for them is um, supportive of them does understand their um, circumstances their situation but very much specifically for me in terms of what i'm sort of putting out there at the moment is that i do think that with the insurers have made incredible steps to try and support people who are transgender who you know and sort of like taking off all these barriers that we used to have in terms of well if they want to be down as female then they need to provide xyz documents and all this kind of stuff And that's fantastic. But we are, I think, at a stage now where because we are doing things like that, which is is brilliant, we then need to make sure that in terms of the terms that are being issued to different people in different situations, that everything's as transparent as possible, and that it does actually make sense in terms of being equal to everybody. So that would be people who have transitioned, and also people who haven't transitioned and who are the gender that they were born at physically at birth as well. So I know that's a very very long bit there, but Matt, uh, I say I'm not going to put you on the spot to to comment on any of that because I imagine that's a, a very unusual um, situation to talk about. But um, I hope that I made sense in what I was trying to get across. I hope I've not said anything that seems um as sort of like boggled the mind too much. Hopefully.
1: No, I, I'm I'm happy to comment to a degree because I think I think you've raised a, a a lot of fundamental issues there. I think my my one comment would be that from underwriting engines, not something I tend to get involved with a lot these days. Obviously, I was once upon a time, but not these days. Are we saying that um, a transgender Per- let, me, let me just say person for the moment again yeah. who fragmented by that <clears throat> um let's say let's say somebody's gone from female to male and he's saying that the underwriters would not I think this is what you're saying they would yeah. not be able to identify that individual and therefore therefore an exclusion
0: wouldn't would take place
1: Right. In that, in my my take on this, and please anybody out there shoot, well not shoot me, I'm getting, you know, I can't run fast enough these days. But um, if 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 the underwriting engine has been built in such a way that they can't gather that information, then that that individual will will either get the exclusion or not based on their current yeah uh, identity.
0: So yeah, and so they, in, in that should
1: not be a problem at claim. But oh no, that. absolutely hard question, isn't
0: it? <laughs> no, well the thing is, it's it, the thing is it's absolutely you know, it's it's absolutely right. And you know, th- there shouldn't be an issue because I think a key thing here as well is that in these situations, it wouldn't even necessarily go to an underwriter. This could just be straight no, through no, online no, no, no. application. Right, um yeah. so I think so, like part of my comment of that is, and you know, and I certainly don't want to go backwards or make anything worse. I'm I worry that I'll probably say something, and people will just go, Oh, well, it's too risky, so I'll just make it worse for everybody. Um but my my point of view is if somebody was born a female and has um, transitioned to be a male, they wouldn't have an exclusion for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. But no. but at the same point, then I kind of think of that: is that in some ways is that fair to the woman who hasn't transitioned and to someone yeah. who has been born female who is going to see that exclusion? I certainly don't want that male. To have an exclusion put on, you know, and 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 I do understand that this is a situation where I I I say I don't think there's certainly not a quick answer. I don't think there's an easy answer, and I don't think you know there should be a question added on saying you are male by any chance if you transitioned or are you a no, female? But you know, you know, we wouldn't want to go down exactly. We wouldn't want to go down any of those routes. But I think it's important to make sure that and and, and obviously there's vice versa as well in terms of yeah. a male, someone who's born male and who is female has transitioned they would have the exclusion whereas if they were a male they wouldn't you know I know it's it's I know it's not huge numbers of people and you know it's certainly not the huge but number of people confusing? that we see with the disclosures but you know it just things in terms of equality for everybody involved it just you know it just feels like there's probably something at the moment that just needs to be you know I, I can just imagine at some point there's going to be someone that turns around and says well hang on a minute you know I've you know, I've been in this situation, I have transitioned and I suddenly have this exclusion, but that actually doesn't genetically really apply to me. So how is this fair? And and I think there needs to be some kind of a a framework or answer of some sort to explain the uh, the way that it works. Um, surprise,
1: sorry, Catherine, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if that, that, that answer could be given by insurers, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, I think my comments were, at least initially, were more around systems capabilities.
0: Yes, oh, um, systems. I can't imagine could do cope with this at all. I don't spotting, think that could do
1: these things. I mean, one, you're absolutely right. I think it's important with insurance is 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 one numbers are currently yeah. very very small, and and number two, there's was, there was always this fundamental thing with insurance um, around anti-selection. Yes, somebody knowing that um there is a condition or a likely event which insurers aren't aware about and really i can't see um an individual let's say i was trying to get your um uh, a female transitioning to a male mm. so they wouldn't get an exclusion i, I I'd be incredibly surprised if that would ever
0: happen. I was going to say it would be. I mean, you might have it that it's, I, I <laughs> doubt it, but you could have a male, someone who's physically born male, who doesn't, who gets their insurance before this all happens. But you would imagine that somebody who's in that situation would have spoken quite significantly at times to um to people who have to be involved, medical professionals, in, in terms of the transition process. Um. So again, it it doesn't. I don't think. I think be very unusual, very, very un- unlikely to have a situation where someone deliberately sets up their insurance or doesn't set up their insurance until certain times to avoid these kinds of exclusions. Because I think a lot of the time, in all fairness, when we are talking to people and it's in terms of insurance and transgender, and it, there's that kind of big debate about sort of like what the insurance is going to do, a lot of the time that comes down to people wanting potentially private medical insurance to cover the cost of transition. Yes, um yeah. So that's where, you know, a lot of the time it is just very, very straightforward, um, in terms of you know, you, you just put the application forward like you would do for anybody. And yeah. just if the surgery is in time frame, you just mention it and as I say it shouldn't have any influence, but it the gender can have an influence in terms of some of these um family medical history exclusions. Uh, so it's it's an interesting one. It's certainly not as I say, I I don't know the answer, but I can just envisage at some point that somebody, somebody yeah. somebody's going to come up with that well like i am um, <laughs> but you know obviously from a place where it's maybe been a negative for them and um and they really do want an answer so it could just be something that there's some uh, some discussion somewhere just to to clarify it all but yes underwriting <laughs> engines i can't imagine that there's any way of uh, doing that unless you did specifically ask the question of you know yeah. is this your born gender which would just be horrific and we certainly don't want that to be um no and it right, be, it'd be born physical gender as well there's there's so many ways that the wording can be so offensive Absolutely. um and so fly we certainly against, wouldn't want to do that
1: fly against modern society um every which way um yeah uh, and end of really i'm mean, right you know the, the reality is as i said i think there will be a, an answer to that question out there i have a feeling i know the answer to your question but um, I'm not close enough to it now to, uh, to 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 want to say what I think of oh, the answer.
0: Absolutely. That's why I said I wouldn't put you on the spot to give any kind <laughs> of real insurance. insurance. Uh, it's so new as well. It's so, so the new. Gender,
1: the gender identity uh, transitioning thing, yeah, it, it, it has been around for a while, to be honest with you, hasn't it, because of the gender recognition. So I don't it know has, but in terms
0: of in. insurance-wise, it's so new
1: the data again
0: yeah That's it's that. the data you know there's you know and I know probably some people say well this has been happening for this minute and you know obviously it can go back a long time but in terms of the amount of people and in terms of, like you always say the data and you know uh, you know we, I think you know there's somewhere it's even sort of like really early probably 1900s where there's even been things of people going through uh, gender reassignment surgery but that wouldn't have been Lots of people, and the data isn't there for the actuaries and the underwriters to look at it and really sort of like figure it all out. Whereas now we are seeing that it's obviously happening more and more, and so we are getting those those numbers there eventually. But um, but it just unfortunately it takes a bit of time because you insurers have to see the risk over a time frame to be able to say what doesn't doesn't happen. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's know yeah, Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it, we, we've kind of talked about that as a theme throughout of, throughout yeah. throughout of this. But, you know, as I've always said about all our podcasts and any question that's been asked of me over the years, it's 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 great to ask the questions. Yes. And throw, and throw them out there. Um, so so well done you for doing that. As I say, I think there might be an answer, but I don't want to uh, throw my poor pennies worth in just at this moment in time.
0: absolutely well thank you everybody for listening and thank you as always for your insights matt next next time i'm going to be back and i'm going to be talking through the most recent money and mental health report that talks about how insurances working, but maybe not necessarily working in the best of ways for people living with mental health conditions. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And as always, don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, the Octa members. Thank you, Matt.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye.